We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. Our presenting sponsor is BetUS, a place for you to wager on the finals games here. At BetUS, they've got a great payout system, the industry's biggest bonuses, and every bet type you can think of. You can join now by calling 1 800 69 BetUS or online at betus.com. Get 125% sign up bonus using the promo code Dane125. At BetUS, you bet, you win, you get paid. All right, so the plan for today's show is to check in on the six Timberwolves players that are playing or have been playing for their national teams here leading up to the Olympics. Ricky Rubio and Wajo Hernan Gomez, obviously for Spain. Anthony Edwards and Nas Reed were on the USA Select team. Leandro Balmaro has been playing for Argentina. And then Josh Okogie for Nigeria. Unfortunately, the place to start with these six guys is with injuries. Three of them have gotten hurt. Anthony Edwards sprained his ankle at Team USA practice on July 7th. It was in a scrimmage. He stepped on Draymond Green's foot, I've heard, which rolled his ankle, apparently, because, of of course, Ant hasn't. Ant has never sprained an ankle before. So he's he's adjusting to the recovery and the stiffness that comes with the sprained ankle. And as I record this, what is it, a week later, my understanding is he's still off that ankle, and he will be for a while. I definitely don't get the sense that this will have any impact on Edwards's ability to you know be ready for training camp in September but it will keep him out of summer league which was surprising to me something that he was you know that was on the table that Edwards might do but he won't be in summer league Nas Reed uh, was also heard at Team USA practice what I've heard is he tweaked his knee I saw Chris Hine of the Star Tribune he tweeted out that Nas had a calf injury so I don't know maybe it was multiple things with his leg either way the injury was serious enough to remove Nas from the USA Select Team roster. It's interesting watching these these USA games, though, and I, I don't know how much those of you listening to this have been watching, but with Middleton and Holiday and Devin Booker all still in the finals, um, Team USA has been playing guys who aren't on their actual roster, like Darius Garland, Sadiq Bey, Keldon Johnson. They've been getting real minutes in these USA games. And I think there's definitely a chance that Edwards would have been in that rotation had he not gotten hurt. But even Nas Reed, too. Like, not obviously, Nas is not on the level of a guy like Darius Garland or something like that. But, but Team USA is really lacking big bodies. 
And as, as crazy as it sounds, Nas Reed might have been able to, you know, get some of Kevin Love's minutes. I mean, Love has not been, Love has not looked good on that team, and Team USA is really thin um, in their front court with centers. So it's a bummer that Ant and Nas are both hurt, but similar to with Ant, I don't think the expectation should be with Nas that his injury is all that serious. I know Nas was going to play in Summer League. Now, not just with Nas, but with the whole idea that I think the idea was kind of ending the season that a bunch of Timberwolves players, young players, would be playing in Summer League. I think all of that is a lot more in question now. Um, training camp is going to start on like September 24th, which is five weeks after Summer League ends. I think internally there's some, you know, there's some concern that if somebody were to roll an ankle or something happens in Summer League that you know, that might jeopardize their ability to be ready for training camp. So I think we'll see fewer of these young players playing in summer league or for shorter stints than we, we maybe might've thought when the regular season ended, but some of them will play. Maybe Nas, I would say he's questionable is my read on that. One player is not questionable is um, obviously Juancho Hernan Gomez. He, he's definitely had the most serious injury of the group. Juancho dislocated his shoulder. And as I understand it, a dislocated shoulder is pretty significantly more serious than a separated shoulder. But there are different levels of shoulder dislocations. And there are shoulder dislocations that require surgery to repair the ligaments. But then there are also dislocations that can just be rehabbed. And from what I've heard, it sounds like the rehab path will be the path for Wancho. Surgery could have kept him out for up to six months. And so now we're talking about you know almost half the season. But... With three months until the season starts and Wancho taking the rehab path, it seems likely to me that he should be good to go by the beginning of this season. So those are the three Wolves players no longer playing in these international games. The three players that are playing are Ricky Rubio, who played against Rudy Gobert, Evan Fournier, Frank Nelikina, Nicholas Batum, a bunch of guys on France. Um, we'll go into Rubio a little bit. Josh Kogi has been playing for Nigeria. They played against Team USA. Argentina and Australia, and then Leandro Balmaro has also played three games, playing against Australia, Nigeria, and the USA. And obviously, I think the place to start is with Balmaro. He's the one who's newer to all of us than Rubio or Akogi are. And I think for context, when we're talking about what Balmaro looks like in these, we kind of got to establish that Balmaro has a much different role for the Argentinian national team than Rubio and Akogi do for their national teams. Because Bomaro's he's only 20 years old, he, he has a really limited role on this team. He, he just doesn't play a lot. Where Akogi and Rubio are starting and playing heavy minutes for their team. Bomaro is just a bench guy. He, he, he brings energy. He's basically asked to just be a pest defensively against the other team's point guard. In Tuesday's game against USA, he Bomaro was tasked with guarding Damian Lillard. And you saw him, if you watched the game, guarding Lillard full court. Um, which is obviously no easy task. But Bomaro did look good, you know, kind of turning Lillard up and down the floor. He was playing hyper-aggressive. But Lillard, because he's Damian Lillard, he, he knew how to use that aggression against Bomaro. And what you saw was, just on the, the very first possession, Lillard really sped Bomaro up, pulled back as he was getting a screen, and Bomaro got trapped going under the screen. Lillard then hit what became an uncontested three because Bomaro's buried under it. Next possession, same thing. Bomaro goes under the screen. Lillard missed that one. Third possession, Bomaro is again guarding a full court. Lillard again tricks him to go under the screen. Lillard hits another three. So at this point, everybody's like freaking out. Bomaro's coaches are clearly telling him, like, you can't go under Damian Lillard. 
So on the next possession, Lillard has the ball. Bomaro plays up real tight and pushes through the screen and into Lillard where he gets called for the foul. And as I've, as I've talked about before, with Bomaro, the, the defensive end, at least as a rookie, the beginning of his career is where he's most likely to be able to contribute for the Wolves next season. You know, again, just playing hard, being that pest defensively. And, and what I will say is even though he did struggle a, a, a little bit in these games, Bomaro just definitely competes. It's, it's, it's really similar to kind of Josh Okogie. But, you know, watching Bomaro go against NBA competition for the first time, it, it, was, it was pretty noteworthy that those players just really knew how to use that aggression against him. And, and you know, it wasn't just Lillard. You know, if he, if he would just get baked by Lillard, like, whatever, that, that is what it is. But against Nigeria, Bomaro was guarding Josh Okogie. And Bomaro similarly struggled to check Josh. I mean, Bomaro was getting over the screens in, in, in those situations against Akogi because, you know, Akogi doesn't really know how to manipulate a pick and roll as well as Lillard does. But, you know, with Bomaro going over the top, Okogi would, he would have a step on Bomaro and he'd just sprint drive to the rim right past him where he scored as Bomaro kind of scrambled after him. And then a second time when Akogi ran a high pick and roll against Bomaro, he again had Bomaro scrambling behind him. So Akogi kind of stopped and did one of those Trey Young get the bump from behind and draw the foul, little pull-up things. I, I posted those two clips on Twitter of Bomaro guarding Akogi if you want a, an actual visual. But, you know, I mean, I guess put simply, Bomaro did not look like a lockdown defender at all in, in these games. And I, I don't want to overreact to three exhibition games, but this was the first time that I'd watched Bomaro against NBA-caliber players. And, you know, I can't say I left those games thinking Bomaro is ready to defend at the NBA level. Offensively, Bomaro played a, a, a small role, but he, he did get a handful of jumpers and drives off. One thing that stood out to me was that he had a really like clean free throw mechanics, good rotation on the ball. I thought it was encouraging that his shot looked good there for a player that has some questions about his ability to shoot. But before we get into shooting any of that stuff, I, the, the place to start is... You know, people ask me about Bomaro, and they're like, oh, so he's like a point guard. Is he running a bunch of pick and rolls and all that? I'm like, well, no. <laughs> like, the question is, what position does Bomaro play? And, and the best way to answer that is by looking in these games at where he is positioned on the court. And if you're watching, you wouldn't say that Bomaro is a point guard. I mean, I would say from watching this, not only this FIBA stuff, but also the EuroLeague too, that he isn't a point guard. I mean, remember, and that's fine. He's 6'7". That shouldn't be a shock. What, what, I, what I think of when I'm watching him is a guy who kind of sometimes plays that lead initiator, but a lot of times is, you know, off in the corner or playing off the ball. And really, while I was watching these games and going back and watching them on Synergy, it, it reminded me a ton of the way that Jerk Culver was used at Texas Tech, which was kind of like half the time he was off the ball, but also, you know, half the time he was initiating the offense. And, and watching these three FIBA games from Bomaro, it, it did seem like a pretty even split of the possessions where he was either bringing the ball up the floor or he was just being kind of relegated to the corner starting there. Kind of a 50-50 split, I would say, between those two positions on the floor. Another reason that Bomaro reminded me a lot of Culver in college was the was just the frequency in which he tried to go to a mid-range shot. I, I think if there's like one thing I can make crystal clear about Bomaro's game offensively, it's that the thing he is most comfortable doing on offense right now is pulling up from mid-range, which I know probably makes like some of you out there 
cringe at that idea, but but I will say that he looks good at it. I mean, the, the mid-range footwork is there. He can dribble off off the bounce. He can elevate cleanly. Again, he can get that up and over people because he's six foot seven. He has a six eight wingspan, and that, again, to the Culver comparison, that's almost the exact same height, wingspan, and weight as Culver was when he was a rookie. And Culver's not a small guy. My concern with Bomaro's mid-range game, if that's his bread and butter, is that he just won't be allowed to take those shots at the NBA level. And I think if that's the case, that's going to be awkward for him. I thought this one play was like a really good example of how just mid-range shooting has been hammered into his brain. So, I guess picture it. Bomaro is in the left corner, and he's being guarded by Bradley Beal. Argentina is running a high pick and roll up top, so Beal is kind of ducked in off of Bomaro into the lane to help, and the ball eventually swings to Bomaro in the corner. Beal closes out really hard to contest the shot, and now, I guess if we freeze frame it right there, in the NBA, one of three things happens in this situation when the guy catches the ball in the corner. You either just shoot it over the closeout, you do an escape dribble to the side, guy flies by, and then you shoot the three a step to your right. Or, three, you use Beal's momentum against him, and you drive baseline to the rim. Well, Bomaro didn't do any of those things. Instead, he sprint dribbled to his right from the corner directly to the elbow and took a clean mid-range shot that he knocked down. You know, it was fast. It was decisive. The shot looked clean. He knocked it down. And yet, that is something you never see in the NBA. So my question would be is, how valuable is this? You know, how valuable are the things that he is good at right now? And again, I, I acknowledge that he looks like a pretty good mid-range shooter, but I just, yeah, I just have to question whether or not he's going to be taking any of these types of shots in the NBA. That's why I think summer league and training camp will be critical for Bromaro to just adjust to more of an NBA style of decision-making, an NBA style of shot selection. I think with growth at summer league and training camp, I could see Bromaro cracking the end of the Wolves bench rotation. But as of right now, again, I don't want to overreact to to these three games, but my assessment would be that Bomaro is not ready yet to be in an NBA rotation. We're going to take a quick break here and then come back and run through what Akogi and Rubio have been up to in these Olympics games. And the NBA finals are here and this summer's betting action is heating up with my friends over at BetUS. Looking at some of the odds over at BetUS with the Bucks winning game three and the series tied at 2-1 when I record this, Phoenix is still relatively high favorites in this series. They're a minus 245 money line favorite. So if you want to be on the Bucks, you can get more than 2-1 to one odds on your money. They're listed at plus 205. Chris Paul is a heavy favorite to win finals MVP at minus 220. Where Giannis is plus 175 to win MVP, which I guess means the odds are baking in a chance that the Suns could win the series with Giannis still winning finals MVP. I don't know, Jerry West style. So you can bet on those things, but also with the UFC, MLB, golf, Summer Olympics, football season all around the corner, you need a sports book with great payouts. BetUS has the industry's biggest bonuses and every kind of bet type you could dream of. BetUS has been a pioneer in online betting for over 25 years and prides itself on being America's favorite sports book. So take advantage of this action-packed summer. Sign up today at BetUS.com. That's BetUS.com or 1-800-69-BETUS. Again, receive 125% sign-up bonus when you use the promo code DANE125. If you missed tip-off, forget to bet. You can bet live at BetUS all the way up to the final buzzer. And if you're ready to start betting on the NFL, they got those lines up there as well. Want some blackjack? You want to play the games in the casino? There are hundreds of games in the BetUS casino. 
I bet at BetUS, and so so should you. Join now by calling 1-800-69-BETUS or online at BetUS.com. BetUS, you bet, you win, you get paid. Best talent brings out the best in each other. If your company is looking for teammates to take you to the next level, you need Indeed. When hiring gets hard, you need Indeed, the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple. Just attract, interview, and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all of your hiring in one place, even interviewing. Don't just hope your perfect candidate will find you. Indeed's hiring tools help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. In fact, Indeed's instant match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are on Indeed the moment you post a sponsored job. Indeed Instant Match helps you make a short list of great candidates fast. The moment a sponsor shows up, you get a list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Then you can invite them to apply right then. Indeed helps you hire great people fast. Plus Indeed takes finding quality candidates even faster with 135 assessments to help make sure you find applicants with the right skills. Best of all, you only pay for applicants who meet your must-have qualifications. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through September 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so moving on from Argentina and over to Nigeria, Josh Okogi has looked pretty awesome in these FIBA games. The most notable thing from watching is the fact that Josh Okogi is playing point guard, pretty much exclusively point guard from Nigeria. Obviously, this is a big change for Okogi, who played 60% of his minutes last season at power forward, according to cleaning glasses tracking data, cleaning the glasses tracking data. Over the course of Okogi's career, he's slid up positionally, as a rookie under Tom Thibodeau, Okogi played 90, 90% of his minutes at shooting guard for the Wolves under Ryan Saunders in 2019-20. He was at shooting guard 52% of the time, small forward 43% of the time. But then under Saunders this year, and particularly under Finch, Okogi played a ton of power forward last season. So the question with Okogi in these games has to be, is, is playing point guard helpful? And I think the answer to that is yes. Now, to be fair, or accurate, Josh is struggling to bring the ball up the floor a little bit when he's being pressured. But once he does get into the half-court set, he looks pretty competent as a point guard. And I would say those types of actions are, in fact, good reps for when Okogi does play on the perimeter this season for the Wolves. Because, you know, even if he is playing power forward again this year, he still will be frequently spaced out on the perimeter, often catching the ball above the break, and, you know, being asked to attack the hoop which that's a lot of the time what he's doing in these Olympics games um, when, you know, he's the point guard, brings it up the floor, gets it back to him, and now he's asked being to, you know, attack on the second side. Those reps are relevant. Okogi's also running a lot of pick and rolls. In these three games, he has ran 11 pick and rolls that either led to his own shot or the shot of a teammate, according to Synergy. In 59 games for the Wolves this year, Okogi only did that type of pick and roll action 14 total times. So basically something he never, ever did. And now he's doing it a handful of times per game with the Olympics teams. So it's, you know, it's good practice. It's something he has little experience doing that now he might be able to occasionally do in the NBA. 
Now, you're probably thinking, would it just be better if Akogi were getting reps in the corner or being used as a pick-and-roll screener? Maybe. I'd probably say yes. You know, that's certainly where he'll be positioned more often this year. It's certainly where he was positioned once Finch took over. But this, this point guard role, it's, it's more dynamic, and it lets, it lets Akogi spread his wings a little bit more. He's really gotten into this like drive to the right, crossover behind his back to the left move. And the handle, again, it, it isn't clean. It kind of looks like someone learning how to do a behind-the-back dribble in practice. But to Akogi's credit, it's, you know, it's been pretty effective. It clears space, and then you know he can barrel to the rim, Akogi style. Defensively for Okoye, it's been more of the same. He competes at that end as much as anyone does, and his athleticism combined with even more added strength is is really showing up, I think, in this game, these games. I mean, Okoye is he's going to be difficult to score through in the NBA next year. For Nigeria, I mean, Josh is he's expanding his offensive repertoire. We'll see how much of that he uses in the NBA. But he's for sure further asserting himself defensively, and I think these exhibitions have been really encouraging for Josh and, you know, a step in his development for next year. He looks to me like a no-brainer piece to be in the Wolves rotation next year. As for Ricky Rubio, playing for the Spain national team, he also looks awesome, which is just par for the course whenever Ricky plays for Spain. Again, you know, he had he had a friendly against Rudy Gobert, Evan Fournier, Nicolas Batum, Frank Nilakina, and a bunch of other former NBA players who play for France. And Rubio dominated that game on July 10th. It's, I mean, it's just, it's in international play where you really see how far Rubio's skill development has come since he entered the NBA, you know, 10 years ago. In Spain's offense, you see him doing things he would never have done back at the beginning of the, his career, or done well, at least. He has the freedom to attack the basket, and he has the freedom to shoot from beyond the arc as much as he wants. And he actually... He actually looks pretty good at those things when he plays in these games. It's it's just a little bit different. I think in Minnesota, we, we kind of view Rubio as like the quarterback of the offense for the Wolves when he's out there. But for Spain, he often is like the bell cow running back. I mean, that, that game on the 10th against France was close. Rubio took it over at the end. He, he did it by scoring at all three levels. He did it by getting it to the line. And he capped it with a dagger with under a minute left in the game. I mean... The big question, right, I suppose, is why do we so rarely see this player show up playing for the Wolves? And the easy answer would be that, you know, oh, he's playing against lesser talent and less athletic players in international play. But again, that wasn't the case against France. It's going up against Gobert, Batum, Nilakina. You're talking about really good NBA defenders. I think, I think for me, the glass half full thought behind this if you're a Wolves fan, is that Rubio is a significantly better player when he is playing with players that have high basketball IQs and with teammates that he has a familiarity with. Now, given the youth of the Wolves roster, I think the basketball IQ part of that question is up in the air. But entering the second season in Minnesota, you know, Rubio should be familiar with this group. The three players he shared the floor with most this season were... One, Anthony Edwards, two, Carl Anthony Towns, and three, Jaden McDaniels. That's three of the Wolves' five best players. Rubio obviously has a substantial history of playing with Cat, you know, dating back to the beginning of Cat's career. And then I think it's extra encouraging that Rubio played 1,381 minutes next to Ant this year. 
1,381 of 1,772 minutes. That's that's Rubio playing 78% of his minutes next to Anthony Edwards. That's that's a rare rate. So in a lot of ways, I think the comfort he has, the understanding he has with Anthony Edwards is elevated more than it even would, more than even a season's worth. Obviously, the elephant in the room in regards to Rubio is and his pairings is obviously D'Angelo Russell. Those two only shared the floor for 370 of Rubio's 100, or 1,772 minutes. That's only 21% of Rubio's minutes. So the familiarity isn't there with D'Lo. But the basketball IQ is. You know, Russell's IQ, I feel like he's become underrated. He gets dinged for being a guy who, you know, might take too many mid-range shots in relation to how often they go in. But Russell's a cerebral player. He's a he's a great passer. Russell's a, you know, a guard like Rubio who has a great feel for his teammates. Obviously, the question is, does that can that familiarity to his teammates translate to a second point guard? Do those things clash? We know the jury is out on that at best. But again, after the All-Star break, the Wolves had a positive net rating with Rubio and D'Lo on the floor, which was a massive improvement from their negative 23 net rating in the first half of the season. I mean, the word is definitely, right, that Rubio and D'Lo don't mesh. But I think if we're looking at it through the lens of a player, something more like international Ricky Rubio playing on the Timberwolves next year, I think that Rubio meshes better, makes more sense next to D'Angelo Russell. Either way, I mean, the Wolves... They want to make the playoffs with this group next season. You know, Rubio has to be has to be this player. He has to be close to this player. And I think an encouraging bit is that, you know, in 20 the summer of 2019, when when Rubio won World Cup MVP, he went on to have the best, you know, the best season of his career with Phoenix. If Rubio is playing at that level again, you know, I, I think it's not out of the question that his beginning of this coming season with the Timberwolves could be much more 2019 Suns than it was the disaster of the beginning of the 2020 season he had with the Timberwolves, where Rubio didn't play international over the summer. He didn't come into training camp in in a routine, in good shape, and all those things. If we're just going off the film, as was the case for Akogi, the optics have been really good on what Ricky Rubio has done in these games. And and I think that's an encour- that's an encouraging thing for both Ricky Rubio and Josh Okogie, who figure to be, you know, two pretty key cogs of the, the Timberwolves rotation this year. All right, that's all I got for you today. I will be back on Thursday afternoon with Britt Robson to react to whatever happens in game four of the finals on Wednesday night. And I'm sure we'll get into other random things as well. And then Will DeBerg and I will also get back together on Friday to another to do another film review of three more prospects. This time we'll do Scotty Barnes, Franz Wagner, and Keon Johnson. So look for those episodes in your feed later this week or the weekend. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd.